to the book of Deuteronomy. New Year is a time for reflection, for looking back as well as looking forward, and I'm kind of returning to my Presbyterian roots here today. We're going to have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading, which is what I always had in the church. The Church of Scotland I was brought up in. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we'll read together from verse 1. That's our Old Testament reading. It's page 187 in your pew Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks and iron, where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the goods he has given you. Amen. Chapter 4 and verse 1. It's page 967 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Amen. In the, <coughs> in the weakness of my words, we ask that something of the, uh, the strength and the power of your Spirit would be known to each of us in this place. We ask that you would move and that you would minister uh, to your people. We ask that you would uh, warm the coldest of hearts, and that you would enliven our minds and our spirits. And Father, we ask that as we uh, sit together, as it were, under your word, that we would be changed, that something would happen within us that would make a difference to our lives when we leave this building, when we step out into the uh, streets of Airdrie when we step out into this new year, we ask that we would do so as changed people, ready to honour and to serve our King. Come, Holy Spirit, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope that you had a happy Christmas. I hope that you managed in the midst of the Christmas noise and the Christmas music, which some of us enjoy and some of us endure, and in the midst of the Christmas duties which have to be attended to, and in the midst of the Christmas foods which has to be eaten, and in the midst of the Christmas stuff that has to be done, I hope you managed to take a little bit of time to step aside to be still, to know that He is God, and to remember and to rejoice in Emmanuel, that God came to us as a man in the Lord Jesus Christ, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, to celebrate the wonder of the incarnation. The Word became flesh. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became tangible. God became man. That is worthy of our wonder, and I hope we each made the time over the Christmas period to remember, to rejoice, to celebrate, to give thanks to God for the wonder of the incarnation. Jesus' birth is wonderful. Jesus' death and His resurrection 
is wonderful. It is glorious. And as soon as, you know, Christmas is past and we step into the new year and the new year festivities are over and our Christmas chocolate begins to come to an end, we suddenly sort of cast one eye over towards Easter, don't we? We move from Christmas to Easter. And the danger is we miss the bit in the middle. Jesus' birth is wonderful and glorious. The incarnation is wonderful and glorious. And what cause we have to give thanks to God for it. Jesus' death for us on the cross and his resurrection on the third day and his glorification, his ascension on high, wonderful and glorious. But the bit in the middle, Jesus' life, and by that I mean not just his teaching, his teaching, but his life lived for us is also wonderful and glorious. And we need to take the time to remember and to rejoice in that. We're not told much about Jesus' upbringing as a boy. We have one story, but really the gospel stories begin to slow down when we come to Jesus' baptism and then his ministry. And so Matthew tells us that after Jesus is baptized, uh, he is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Why 40? What are we supposed to see in that number? Well, the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, weren't they? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert for these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Israel was tested by God. And there in the wilderness, let's be brutally honest, they failed, didn't they? There was grumbling and there was groaning. There was moaning that, you know, life as slaves in Egypt was better than life on the road, free with the Lord. There was faithlessness when they saw the size of the people in the land of promise. Faithlessness flings wide the door to fearfulness, doesn't it? And they saw them and they were afraid because they had taken their eyes off the Lord. Israel, which was given this great and glorious title in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you know, the Lord disciplines you as a father disciplines his son. They were given this title, the child of God, the son of God. And yet they failed. Almost a whole generation missed out on what could have been theirs. Israel failed, but Jesus triumphed. Jesus was sent by the Spirit to be tested, to be tempted by Satan. Forty days of fasting 
and he was hungry in all of 2017, I can guarantee you, you will not uh, find a greater understatement than the one we find in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, the Bible says. Doesn't try and manipulate us, doesn't try and get our emotions going, it just tells us the facts. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'm sure he was hungry. And whilst he was hungry, whilst he was at his very weakest, he is three times tempted, three times tested, and three times he triumphs. Jesus is the true Son of God. He is the true Israel who succeeded where the first failed. Jesus is the second Adam who again succeeded where the first failed. Jesus is my Savior, who has succeeded where I have failed. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, then the same is true for you. He was born for you. He died for you. But He also lived for you. He lived that perfect life that you have failed to live in your place. I don't wear clerical uh, robes, but every Sunday when I stand here, I stand here clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that is a wonderful and a glorious thing. Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? The Lord Jesus Christ lived for you. And so when He came uh, to the cross, He came as the Lamb without blemish. He came as the perfect, sinless sacrifice. He came as the perfect, sinless substitute for you and for me. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin, says Hebrews. We have a triumphant Savior. We have a Savior who has beaten sin. And all of its side effects, sickness and sorrow and death will be swept away because Jesus has triumphed. And the kingdom has begun to break in. And we look forward to the day when the kingdom will come in all of its fullness. When the King comes again. Because he lived a sinless life, he was the perfect sacrifice. And because he was a perfect sacrifice, he is the all-sufficient Savior. All who repent and believe in him will be fully and freely forgiven forever. In Christ, we have an all-sufficient Savior. And in Christ, we have what J.C. Ryle calls a sympathizing Savior. A sympathizing Savior. Savior. We might say a sympathetic Savior. J.C. Ryle says, the sympathy of Jesus is a truth which ought to be especially dear to all believers. They will find in it a mine of strong consolation. They should never forget that they have a mighty friend in heaven who feels for them in all their temptations and who can enter into all their spiritual anxieties. Or how about Spurgeon? He says, Beloved friends, 
We live in a world of sin and sorrow, and we are sinful and sorrowful. We need one who can put away our sin and become a sharer in our sorrow. If he cannot go with us through all the rough places of our pilgrimage, how can he be our guide? If he has never traveled in the night himself, how can he whisper consolation to us in our darkest hours? We have a fully qualified high priest in our Lord Jesus Christ. I have no idea what 2017 will bring for you, but I do know that he will be there. I do know that he is fully qualified to journey with you through all the rough places and to comfort you and to console you when life is hard. I do know that he will understand. I do know that he will care deeply and profoundly. And I do know that he has triumphed in your place. I cannot promise it will all be easy. I cannot promise that you will never feel overwhelmed at times. You may very well feel overwhelmed. But he will be there. He will love you. He will never fail you nor forsake you. And you will find his grace to be sufficient. And so may God give us grace this year to say with the Apostle Paul, our light and temporary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. So who is Jesus to the believer? Who is Jesus? He is firstly our sympathizing Savior. He knows what it is to be tempted and to be tested. Other religions have their false gods, but who has a God like ours? A God who in the Lord Jesus Christ truly knows what it is to be tempted and to be tested, to be filled with sorrow and grief, to weep. He knows what it is to face trials and tribulations. We are not alone in our struggles and in our suffering. He knows and He cares. Trials and tribulations are part of the Christian life. It was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It was Jesus who led His disciples into the stormy sea in Galilee. So even when we obey, even when we are faithful, There will be storms in our lives, there will be trials, there will be temptations, there will be uh, struggles, there will be some measure of suffering, but the Lord will be with us and His grace will be sufficient, and actually He will use all these things for our good and for His glory. He is our sympathizing Savior. He is our all-sufficient Savior. Indeed, He is our righteousness. He was tempted He was tested, and unlike us, he passed every time. He is without sin, and yet he died in our place on the cross. And just as he took our 
unrighteousness upon himself on the cross, so he gives us, when we place our faith in him, he gives us his righteousness. It is, to use the big theological word, it is imputed to us. We are justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. We are washed clean. We have our sins cast as far as the east is from the west. In royal robes I don't deserve, we sang. In royal robes I don't deserve. We are righteous in the eyes of God because just as Christ took our unrighteousness, so He gives us, He gifts us His righteousness when we trust in Him. He is our sympathizing Savior. He is our all-sufficient Savior. And thirdly, lastly, He is our example. We might say, well, if I am righteous in Christ, if, it's, if I've been justified, if it's just as if I'd never sinned, then should I go on sinning? Should I keep sinning? If I'm really horrible to my family when I go home and I'm forgiven for it, doesn't that bring more glory to God? To put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, what then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means, says Paul. By no means. In royal robes I don't deserve. I live to serve His Majesty. So when we have come to faith in Christ Jesus, we are washed clean, we are justified, but we begin a journey of growing in holiness, don't we? There is a sense in which we are holy, but there is another sense in which we are growing in holiness. We are called to put to death the sin in our lives. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is not that the non-Christian sins and the Christian doesn't sin. The difference is that the non-Christian can be comfortable with their sin, whilst the Christian is waging war with the sin in their lives. And if you're comfortable with the sin in your life, and you're not waging war with that sin, then that is cause to question whether or not you have this, whether or not you've been born again, whether or not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling within you. We are called to grow in godliness. We are called to live under the lordship of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to live with His law written on our hearts and with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And at times we will fail, we will stumble, we will fall, we will get frustrated with ourselves. And in these moments, it's important that we run to the Lord, not away from Him. We run to Jesus and we find His arms are still wide open. He picks us up, He washes us clean, He sets us back on that narrow path. We will fail, we will fall. But as we look to Jesus, as we look to Jesus, as we trust Him again and again, as we grow in our knowledge of and our love for His words, we ought to grow in Christ-likeness, in godliness, in holiness. 
I wonder how much you hate the sin in your life, how much you want to grow in godliness for your joy in Jesus and for the glory of God in your life. We must be careful not to speak of sin lightly, not to tolerate its presence in our lives. It's dangerous and it's destructive and it's incongruent with our identity as children of God. I've told this story before. I'm not sure I've got time to tell it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, I hadn't planned to, but it's a good story. So, uh, my, my, my sister-in-law had a friend when she was studying at university, and her friend uh, had a snake, and I can't remember what it was called. I hadn't planned on telling this story. I would have looked it up. I must have it written down somewhere, but I'll call it Sammy the Snake. And she loved this snake in the way that some people love cats or dogs or whatever. And uh, this snake, at one point in time, began to behave differently. She would find it doing strange things. And most strange of all is when she went to bed at night and she lay down in her bed, she would find, when she woke up in the morning, the snake was lying straight along the bed by her side. And this went on and on, and she thought, this is really, really strange. I'm going to have to see about this. So she took Sammy the snake to the vet. And uh, to her horror, she found that the vet told her what the snake was doing was the snake was measuring whether or not it was long enough to eat her. That's why it was lying straight in the bed next to her. And when the snake decided he was long enough to eat her. That's what the snake was intending on doing. So the person, my sister-in-law's friend, was faced with a stark choice, and that was, you know, get the snake put down or given away or be eaten by the snake. And so gladly, happily, well, I think happily anyway, she had the snake put down. It was her or the snake, and she chose the snake. And that to me, as soon as I heard that story, I thought, what an illustration of sin. Sometimes we play games with it. We invite it into our house. We invite it into our lives. We give it we pet names. We think it's cute. We show it off to our friends. We think it's really good. When all the while, sin's only intention is to destroy us, to consume us. And so we're faced with a stark choice. It's sin or it's us. We have to put sin to death. We have to be merciless with sin in our lives. This time of year is a time for self-reflection. It's a time for setting some goals. So let's resolve to reflect on our spiritual health and set some goals for growth. Let's resolve to put to death the sin in our lives and to grow in godliness, to grow in holiness, that we might be all that we can be, all that we are called to be for Jesus. And let's learn from the Master the best illustrations. I'll use another illustration. I had planned to tell this one, another one involving an animal. It's the story of a man who trained a dog, and uh, he, he would get this red meat, and he would place it on the ground, and he would stand back, and he would say to the dog, no, and the dog would run to the meat, grab the meat, eat the meat, 
enjoy the meats. And he repeated this time and time again until eventually the dog learned that when his master said no, he was not to eat the meat. And the master apparently found that the way in which the dog had learned not to eat the meat was to not look at the meat. It was to look at the master and to listen for what the master had to say. And the same is true for us. Temptation and testing will come our way and we will be successful only if we find ourselves looking to our master, looking to our Lord, listening for what he has to say. That's how we triumph over temptation. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist everything except temptation. Well, how did Jesus, how did our master, how did our Lord resist temptation three times? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, says Matthew, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see that? The, the provocation and the temptation. Provocation. If you are the Son of God, well, I'll show you, Satan. I'll show you who I am. Provocation and temptation. Forty days and forty nights. I don't think any of us in here will know hunger like that. We think we're hungry. You know, we think we know what hunger is when we've not eaten for a few hours. We think we're hungry. But none of us surely have experienced the hunger that Jesus must have known at that point in time. And the devil comes to him and says, turn, turn these rocks into bread. And he could have. This is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is the, the one who spoke the universe into existence. It would be easy for him to show off a bit, not just to turn the stones into bread, but to, to just to speak a word, and there would be a banquet, a feast prepared for him. And in that moment, there would have been some satisfaction. And as he began to eat and his taste buds burst into life again, after all those days of denial, there would have been a moment's joy, a moment's satisfaction, a moment's happiness. And then what? Then despair and shame. That's what happens when we surrender to temptation, when we satisfy our hungers, hungers in ungodly ways. There is a moment's joy, and then there is despair. There is a moment's satisfaction, and then there is lasting emptiness and guilt and shame. Jesus remains steadfast. And he quotes from Deuteronomy, from the passage that we read together. He has a high view of Scripture. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Jesus has a high view of Scripture. If we have a low view of Scripture, if we have a low view of the Bible, then we are out of sync with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a high view of Scripture. The Bible is a believer's not-so-secret weapon. Three times he is tempted, and three times the Lord Jesus refutes that temptation with Scripture. You don't need six steps to this. 
Ten steps to that. You just need to know Scripture. Spurgeon said, visit good books often, but live in the Bible. And we have the Bible, don't we? We have it available on audio CD, on MP3, on the internet, on books, in our language, and loads of translations. We are without excuse. And to those who have much, much will be required. May God grant us fresh love for the Bible this year. May the Spirit of God open our minds and soften our hearts as we encounter the Word of God in 2017. Man shall not live by bread alone, says the Lord Jesus Christ. We need food. We need sustenance. The Lord Jesus Himself instructs His disciples, His followers, to pray for our daily bread. We need food if we want to live, but it's not enough to live life in all of its fullness. It's not enough if we are to be all that the Lord calls us to be, all that we can be. We need more than that. We need to hear and we need to heed every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where do we encounter the living Word of God? We encounter the living Word of God and the written Word of God. Three times tempted, three times tested, three times Scripture is what the Lord Jesus uses to refute that temptation and to pass the test. Are you growing in your knowledge of the Bible? Are you growing in your love for the Bible? Set some goals for 2017. How can you grow in your knowledge of Scripture? How can you grow in your love for the Bible? What practical steps can you take? Very briefly then, second temptation. If you are the Son of God, verse 6, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands <clears throat> so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The second temptation, Satan quotes Scripture out of context. And there are many who continue to this day to build their own empires by quoting Scripture out of context. We must know the Bible well enough to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And remember, when people like me stand behind pulpits like this, that we are not infallible. And so as I speak, you ought to be thinking, engaging with Scripture. Is this really biblical, what he's saying today? And the same is true when you listen to preachers on the internet or on the television. You're not called to be um, cynical or hypercritical, but we are called to be careful. We are called to be discerning. We are called to interpret Scripture with Scripture. The Lord Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Satan says to Jesus what he will say to you in 2017, and he will say to me in 2017. Forget what God has said. 
Listen to what I am saying. And it will make you happy. You will find fulfillment in it. It will satisfy your hungers. That is what Satan will say. That is the lie that Satan has been whispering since Eden. I will offer you the joy that you deserve. You could see how Jesus could have justified it. Well, I am the Son of God. Surely I deserve better. Well, I have been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And the same is true when we are tempted. We have a wee lawyer in our heads. We can justify giving in to temptation. But the reality is this. When we give in to temptation, when we listen to the lies of the enemy, it will lead to a moment's satisfaction and then guilt and shame. True joy, lasting joy, true life, lasting life is found in serving God alone. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. May the Lord give us grace this year to serve him alone with faith and with courage and with resolve for our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, for his glory in our lives, and for the cause of his kingdom in our generation. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.